Pastors Michael and Brenda Brunzo welcome you and thank you for listening to the following message. This message was recorded during a regular service at Faith Fellowship Church. The Bible tells us in Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So we believe this message will encourage and strengthen you in your daily walk of faith. God bless you as you listen. Open your Bibles with me to 1 Kings chapter 17 and verse 1. I want to talk about one of my Bible heroes this morning, the prophet Elijah. I'm not going to tell you what I'm going to preach on yet. I want to lay some groundwork. I want to tell you a story about Elijah. And then I'll tell you what I'm going to preach on. Is that all right? Yeah. 1 Kings 17:1 it says, And Elijah, the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel liveth, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. Now there's a lot to go with that passage of Scripture. I'm going to explain some of it to you. But the Bible tells us that King, King Ahab was the most wicked king Israel ever had to that day. And his wife Jezebel, and uh, she was even more wicked than he was. It was her intention to kill every prophet of God in the land of Israel, and she almost succeeded. The Bible says that when Jezebel was destroying the prophets of the Lord, God had a man, hallelujah, God had a man by the name of Obadiah who took a hundred prophets, hid them in two caves of 50 in each cave, and then he fed them bread and water the whole time of the famine because now there's no rain falling. Amen? And so uh, it's nice to know that God always has a man or a woman that's not afraid of the devil or what he might do. And if it hadn't been for Obadiah obeying God's command then Jezebel may have succeeded in killing all the prophets of God. Now, she was replacing these prophets with her own prophets. And, you know, God just had uh, a, a major prophet in the land by the name of Elijah, so he caused this drought on Israel and uh, all of King Ahab's land, and then he goes into hiding. And so uh, Obadiah hid those other prophets, and some of them, of course, got killed, not the ones Obadiah uh, Hid, but before he hit them, uh, Jezebel succeeded in killing a lot of them. But there's a famine in the land, and Obadiah, the man of God, had food and water enough to sustain his family and the hundred prophets that were hidden in the caves. Hallelujah. So what, got, what caused God to withhold the rain and the dew? See, God even included dew. He said, you're not even going to see no dew. One preacher said, when the dude don't do what the dude is supposed to do, you got trouble. Because, I mean, we had a, a dew this morning after the frost defrosted, you know. And that waters the ground a little bit. Amen? Keeps things fresh. But God says, no rain and no dew. And then, uh, so, King Ahab and his wife Jezebel had, net, had led the nation of Israel uh, astray with uh, the idol worship of a imaginary God by the name of Baal. I won't even give him credit and call him a, a false God. He's nothing at all. There was nothing there. They were worshiping her imagination. But God finally had enough of it, so he sends Elijah to prophesy. That's what we just read about. And he tells the king that there'll be no rain or dew in the land of Israel until I say so. And so this turned out to be a three and a half year drought, of course. But uh, Elijah stopped the rain, and then he started to rain again. See, we don't realize the power of God's word in our life. When we speak God's word, things will happen. Amen? There's authority behind the word, and we can start the rain or stop the rain in our lives by the things that we say. Anybody been in a dry spell lately? Pastor Ed would tell you, <laughs> watch what you've been saying. And I don't know if you realize the impact that three and a half years without rain or dew can do to a land. But, I mean, there was uh, the crops failed. 
the livestock was starving to death and dying of thirst. The people were starving because there's a famine. I mean, uh, Israel was made up mostly of farmers and fishermen. And now there's this drought and there's no fishing being done, in, at least in the fresh waters. And uh, there's no fresh water to drink. And uh, these people are all dying and everything going through this famine. But God finally sends Elijah back to King Ahab because he felt like they, they had enough. You know, it's been three and a half years. I think they're ready to repent. Elijah, go tell King Ahab uh, that he needs to repent. So, you know, sometimes God allows us to go through hardships to get us to the place of repentance. And, and you know, I'm going to tell you parents this now. I did it the same. I did the same thing. I'm guilty, too. But, you know, God gets our kids in a corner and we bail them out. Sometimes you just need them to let them go through what they're going through because God is trying to get them to the place where they realize their, their plans ain't working and they need God in their life. And if you keep bailing them out, now don't let them starve to death. I mean, feed them if they're hungry. Amen. But let them go through what they're going through. It might be God working in their life. Amen. But anyway, during this entire drought, this time of famine, God miraculously provides for Elijah. He tells Elijah to go down to a brook by the name of Cherith, and he says, and stay there. And, you know, I've, I've preached messages on this before, you know, a place called there. When God tells you to go somewhere, that's where you need to go. Because that is where he will provide you with provisions, food, water, protection. Everything that you need will be there and nowhere else. Amen. So if you go anywhere else besides where God told you to go and you step out of God's will, he's not obligated to provide or protect you. Right. Amen. Amen. You're on your own. If Elijah would have went anywhere else, he would have died of thirst. Right. But God sends him to this brook called Cherith, and he said, there I will provide for you. And he told him to drink from the brook twice a day. Now, this is an interesting brook because I looked it up. And it's a brook that winds down through the fig orchards, and it's covered with vines and flowers and vegetation, and it's almost hidden from sight. As a matter of fact, most people didn't know where it was most of the time, but God did, and that's where he sent Elijah. So Elijah is sitting in this grove with fig trees and beautiful flowers that are being fed from this brook, and he's drinking from the brook. And God says, I will send ravens in the morning and the evening to bring you bread and meat. Twice a day, bread and meat, and you drink from the brook. I mean, Elijah had a campsite there. And, and he had it made. Beautiful brook, uh, figs, as long as they lasted, as long as the brook was lasting. And vulture birds, scavenger birds, bringing him a meal twice a day. Now, I don't know if you realize this about ravens, but they're, by nature, takers. And they never give. You know, they're... they're uh, in the crow family, they're a little bit larger than a crow, but in the same family, they're scavenger birds, and they never kill their own prey. They never provide for themselves. They let somebody else kill the prey, and then they swoop in and take what's left over and just eat off of other people's provision. Amen. And, and you know, I know some of us have some ravens in our lives. Pastor Ed and I had them from time to time. And they just take from you and they don't ever put back in. And we don't need people like that in our lives. Amen. We need people that are going to do their share and they're going to help out. Now, I'm not telling you never help nobody, but you got to know where the line is between helping them and enabling them. Because you get to a place where you're not helping them anymore. They become like the ravens. They just keep taking and taking and not giving. Now... <laughs> See, you can't get ahead if you allow people to do this to you. I would say something about 40-year-old kids living in basements, but I'm not going <laughs> to. But you need to surround yourself with people that are going to be givers and takers. You know, somebody's going to help support you. Somebody's going to contribute to the cause once in a while. And, and you know, our uh, 
whole society and our culture today is a raving society. It's a raving culture. It's, it's a, a culture of people that want to take but never want to give. And the politicians are, that are running, I got to behave. Certain politicians are, are running on a platform. If you vote for me and I get elected, then you'll have free health care, free uh, education, free food, food stamps and stuff, free child care, free cell phones. Uh, everything will be free if you vote for me. And you'll be surprised how many people are going to do that. I mean, their mantra is free, 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 vote for me. If it's free, it's for me. But you know what? Somebody's going to pay for that. That's why I call it a raven society, because hardworking, taxpaying people are going to pay for that, because that money got to come from somewhere. It's not going to fall out of the sky. It's not going to grow on trees. Somebody is contributing, and somebody is taking. But God can take the people in your life that have been consuming and do just like he did with these birds and change their nature from taking, taking, taking to giving, giving, giving. Amen. Because God is a God of the supernatural. He can change a nature. Hallelujah. But anyway, these ravens that God has defined the laws of nature are bringing Elijah two meals a day during a time of famine. You can't tell me that God can't provide for somebody. It doesn't make any difference what's going on in the natural because he's supernatural. He's above that and he can provide for us even in a time of famine. Hallelujah. But after a while, the brook dries up because no rain in the land. And so God tells Elijah, go to this place called Zarephath and dwell there. So now... Uh, God's will changes for Elijah. You know, uh, could God have miraculously made that stream continue to give water for Elijah? Yes, but he didn't. It dried up. And so God tells Elijah, he says, go to Zarephath and dwell there. He said, I have commanded a widow to provide for you. Isn't that strange? God finds a widow to provide for the prophet Elijah. A widow. Now, in the natural, a widow can't provide for somebody. But God tells Elijah, you go there. That's where the widow is that I talk to. And that's where the widow is that's going to provide for you. As a matter of fact, he said, I have commanded her to provide for you. And so Elijah goes there. What would happen if he went anywhere else? No provision. The widow wasn't going to be in Sidon. The widow wasn't going to be in Jerusalem. She was going to be in Zarephath. That's where you had to go. See how important it is to follow God's will for your life? Because if you follow your will, you'll go somewhere nicer. And you'll look for a rich person to provide for you because you don't want to be a burden for a poor widow woman. Don't underestimate these poor little widow women. So Elijah goes to Zarephath and when he got there, got there, sure enough, he runs into this widow. She's out gathering sticks because she's going to build a fire, take her last handful of meal, her last little bit of oil, and she's going to make two biscuits for her and her son, and then they're going to die. That's what she tells Elijah. So Elijah says, okay, give me some water and bake me a biscuit too. She said, I don't have enough for three biscuits. And Elijah says, bake me a biscuit first, and God will provide for you. So, I mean, you know, uh, Elijah had to have faith to go to the brook Cherith in the first place. He had to have faith to go to Zarephath. But this little widow woman getting ready to eat her last meal, how much faith does she have to have to believe what the man of God told her? But she believed him. And she gave him a biscuit. And then she noticed that the, she emptied the meal barrel, but it was full again. And she emptied the oil from the cruise, and it was full again. And don't you know it stayed that way throughout the entire famine until she was able to get another crop in and provide for herself. All of that because of one biscuit. God can take what you don't have and turn it into something big. 
He can take two fish and a few loaves of bread and feed 5,000 people with it. But until you realize what he's capable of doing, you're not going to step out in faith and do it. You're going to eat that biscuit and die. Amen. There's a lot of people in the world eating biscuits this morning. And they don't know where their next biscuit's going to come from. But that little widow woman knew. And then her son dies. And she brings him to Elijah. Elijah's living in a loft in her home. And she brings him to Elijah and, and gives him to Elijah. Well, Elijah takes him upstairs, lays him on the bed. He lays across him. He prays over him. He breathes on him three times. And uh, his soul comes back into his body. That's what the Bible says. That's why I know when you die, your soul departs. Your mind, your will, your emotions, everything departs from your body. And it goes with your spirit to heaven or hell. Amen. But God caused his soul to come back into his body and he resurrected him. And as far as I know, that's the first resurrection in the Bible. Now, he was resurrected to this life. He had to die again someday, hopefully from an old age or something. But it wasn't a resurrection unto eternal life yet. Jesus was the first one to do that. But this is the first resurrection I noticed in the Bible. Hallelujah. But here's what, here, here's what I get from the story. He tells the little woman, he says, because God commanded her now. I don't know, it doesn't say exactly what he said, but he says, take care of the man of God and I'll take care of you. Yeah. Amen. So she did what he said and, and she provided that meal for the man of God and God provided for her throughout the entire family, her and her family. And I bet you she had distant relatives and cousins was coming over to the house to eat and that meal barrel never ran out. Amen. So here's the moral of the story. You better buy your pastor's lunch once in a while if you, if you want God to provide for you. Hallelujah. Buy the man and woman of God a meal once in a while. Hallelujah. Well, God feels like Israel's finally had enough, so he sends Elijah to confront King Ahab again. And when Ahab sees Elijah coming, he says, are you the one who's been bringing this disaster on the land of Israel? He says, are you the one that has been troubling Israel? And isn't that just like people, you know, that are in sin? They don't recognize their sin, but they want to blame somebody else for all their problems. They want to blame somebody else for the disasters in their life. And here it's their sin all along. And so Elijah rebukes him. He says, you're the one brought all this disaster on Israel because of your idol worship of that fake God called Baal. And let me tell you the magnitude of this thing. There were 400 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of the goddess Ashtoreth, and the Bible says they all sat at Jezebel's table. In other words, Jezebel's supporting 850 of these lying preachers the whole time of the famine. And, and, and she's sitting them at her table. She's providing housing for them. She's doing everything for them. So, of course, they're going to tell her exactly what she wants to hear. And they tickle her ears. And, and, and I, I want you to know there's lying preachers in the world today. And they're telling people what they want to hear. And they're, they're teaching false doctrines to people that are not even in the Bible, telling them things about God that is not true about God, just so they'll be popular, just so they can uh, have a big group. And I'm telling you, they're going to have a problem and it's going to happen real soon. Amen. Hallelujah. But anyway, Elijah said, no, 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 no. Don't try to blame me. This disaster was caused by the sins of you and your wife, Jezebel. You led God's people astray to, to worship this, lie, this false God. This, I even hate to call him a false God. To worship this imaginary God in your mind. And you rejected the commandments of the Lord by following and worshiping him. You the one caused this disaster. Just, we just want to get that straight right now. Elijah says, all right, then, I'm going to tell you what we're going to do. We're going to have a little contest between the Lord, my God, and Baal. Let's get all of Israel together with the 400, I'm sorry, 450 prophets of Baal, 400 
prophets of the goddess Ashtoreth. Uh, 850 all together. But he says, let's get them all together. All the prophets, all the lying preachers, all of Israel. And let's meet at Mount Carmel for a showdown. We're going to find out today who the real God is around here. And so Ahab assembles all Israel, all the prophets, and they gather together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah approaches all the people and says, how long are you going to hesitate? How long halt ye between two opinions? If God be God, worship him. If Baal, worship him. And I know this sounds cold, and I've told you this before. God would rather have you lukewarm, uh, uh, hot or cold rather than lukewarm. And what he's saying here to the people of Israel, he said, if you're going to worship Baal, then go on and worship him. And don't be playing around with God and the things of God. Go all the way in and worship Baal. In other words, if you want to go to hell, you might as well be a man and woman about it and go to hell in style. Hallelujah. Go on. Don't be hokey-poking around with God. Either be for him or you're against him. There's no in-between. There's no fence sitting. There's no uh, straddling the fence. Get in or get out. That's what he's telling them. How many knows that's still true today? You think God changed his mind about that? But anyway, Elijah says, let's take two bulls for a sacrifice. You prepare your altar and I'll prepare the altar of the Lord. He didn't say he'd prepare a altar. He said the altar of the, the Lord. He said, cut your bull in pieces and place it on the altar, but don't put any fire under it. He says, I'll do the same. You call on the name of your God, I'll call on the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, we all agree right now that he is going to be God. He's going to be the one true God. Everybody agreed. So Elijah says to the prophets of Baal, he says, you go first. So they take the bull that was given them and they prepared it and they laid it on their altar and called on the name of Baal all morning long. No answer. They cried, oh, Baal, hear and answer us. No voice, no answer, nothing. And so they start leaping about the altar. And then right about noon, Elijah shows up and he starts mocking them. He says, cry louder. Maybe he's busy. Maybe he stepped out. Maybe he's on a journey. And the Living Bible actually says this. It's a paraphrase. It's not a translation, but it actually says it. Maybe he's on the toilet. And can't come to the phone. <laughs> oh, I know. Maybe he's sleeping and you have to wake him up. So they cried even louder and then they begin to cut themselves. How many knows that's a pagan practice? And they cut themselves until the blood flowed out of them. And they did this all afternoon until it was time for the evening sacrifice. And no one answered. Why? Because no one was up there. <laughs> So then Elijah said, it's my turn now. And he told all the people, come closer, as he repaired and rebuilt the old altar of the Lord that had been torn down by, guess who? Jezebel. Same altar. So he takes 12 large stones and he builds his altar in the name of the Lord. He digs a trench around the altar. He laid out all the wood and he cut the bull in pieces and laid it on the wood and then he said, fill four barrels with water and pour it on the offering and the wood. Four barrels of water. And then he told them, do it two more times. Twelve barrels of oil, of water. Twelve barrels of water in a time of drought. Don't tell me the man of God don't know where to get provision when, it, when, the, when it's drought. He gets twelve barrels of water, pours it all over, saturates everything, and even the trench around it was filled with water. And, and the reason he did that was because he didn't want anybody saying there was some kind of trick. Uh, back then, the, believe it or not, it's in commentaries, uh, these false priests and stuff would have these sacrifices, and then they, would have these, they had these little tunnels underneath the ground, and uh, they had like fuel oil in them and wherever the tunnel led a pipe or whatever led to some place behind a bush or something and they would do this ceremony and then they'd have somebody light that 
put some hot coals on that oil and it would go through that pipe and it would come up underneath the fire and light it. And so Elijah wanted to make sure they understood there ain't going to be no tricks like this. He said, this, this uh, fire is going to be lit from God. Amen. The God that answered by fire, let him be God, he said. So at the time of the evening offering, when they would be normally offering to God Jehovah, Elijah approaches the altar and he prays. And, and basically he said, all right, God, and I'm paraphrasing, do your thing. And then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed first the offering, then the wood, then the stones, then the water in the trench, and then licked up all the dust that was left over after the fire. And I want you to notice this fire started at the top and burned down. Most fires start at the bottom and burn up. You never have somebody come to a campfire, build a bonfire, and then light it at the top. It'll burn what's on top and go out. You light a fire from the bottom. But this fire was lit from the Lord. It started at the top and burned its way down. And I mean, it licked up everything. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And so uh, the people saw it. They fell face down and they said, the Lord, he is the Lord. He is God. And so they realized this. Remember I said God had to get them to a place where they'd be willing to repent. And then he proved himself to them and they repented and they declared that he is the one true God. So then Elijah tells them, seize the 450 lying prophets and, and take them down to the brook Kishon. And then he killed them there with the sword the same way that Jezebel killed God's prophets before that. And so this is a warning. Like I said, all the lying preachers out there leading God's people astray with their doctrines and telling them what they want to hear and telling them that you have to be accepting and you have to be tolerant of the sins that's going on in the world and brings those sins into the church. They're going to take a trip down to the brook one day. I'm telling you. I'm not saying they get a sword, but I bet you there'll be a big switch down there. But we come to chapter 19 now and what I really want to preach about today. And I had to tell you all of that so that you would better understand where I'm coming from and the point that I'm trying to make. We've seen how mightily God was using Elijah in a ministry of one miracle after another. And that's why I told you that story, because it gets... Uh, he gets one threat from a woman by the name of Jezebel. He gets so discouraged and depressed that he's running for his life and even wants to kill himself. Yeah. Discouragement, depression, suicide. Mm -hmm. And that's what I want to talk to you about today, really. That was just my introduction. Now I want to talk to you about discouragement and depression. I don't even want to get to that suicide part because that's not going to happen to anybody in this church. Amen? Yeah. Uh, uh, but Pastor Ed and I have seen... Recently, we've seen a program about people that commit suicide. Uh, there was just this 17-year-old kid that is known by some of the people in this church that he just ups and kills, kills himself. And the parents are bewildered. They're baffled. They don't understand why. Never seen a sign. 15 a 15-year-old, too. Pastor's child. Yeah, a pastor's child. And it's just it's crazy. I looked at Pastor Ed and I said, how could life get so bad in just 17 years for this kid? How could it be that bad in just 17 years of life for him to want to kill himself? And it, it, it breaks my heart and it enrages me at the same time. I don't think anybody should ever have to get to the place where they take their own life. We just had a suicide in our family, my brother-in-law, because he couldn't, stand the thought of living without my sister anymore and he took his life and it's so unfair it's like the devil just robs somebody from you you know yes. but he's so depressed and discouraged that he starts running for his life and even wants to kill himself he just handled 850 uh, lying prophets uh, killed them with the sword and he's got one woman threatens him and he runs for his life why? He was wore out. He was tired, weary. What's my point? I want you to realize that if a great man of God like Elijah can get depressed and get discouraged, then what makes you think it can't happen to you? What makes you think it can't happen to me? 
And as a matter of fact, although most people won't admit it, there's a lot of discouraged and even depressed people in this room right now this morning. God showed me that. This room right now, our church. Your job might have you discouraged. The relationship that you're in might have you discouraged. The challenges of life might have you discouraged. Family problems, financial problems, health problems might have you discouraged. Life in general may have you discouraged and even depressed. If you allow the discouragement to stay long, it will turn into depression. And there's people in this room right now that could throw the towel in today and never look back. And I'm here to tell you that we're all going to face times of discouragement, even times of depression in our life. And I've heard well-intentioned at first anyway, lying preachers say that a Christian should never get depressed and especially should not get into depression. He says Christian and depression shouldn't even be used in the same sentence. And I've heard this more than once from big name preachers. And I'm going to tell you what, they're either out of touch with reality or they're lying. That's the only two conclusions I can come up to come up with and the reason I say this is because if they never got discouraged they never got depressed then they have elevated themselves up above even the life of a great prophet like Elijah Elijah could get depressed and discouraged with all the miracles in his life but they can't that's what I say And I'm not ashamed to admit that I've been discouraged and even depressed at times in my life. And I've got a good life. I don't have nothing to complain about. But I can get discouraged and depressed myself. And my whole point is this. It's nothing to be ashamed of. And that's why most, a lot of them lead to suicide is because people are ashamed to admit that they're discouraged. Especially in the church. There's church people won't admit that they're discouraged or even depressed because they think it will show a lack of faith. And this is a faith church. I'm supposed to have enough faith in God to know that I'm never alone and that he's always with me. And yet you're feeling discouraged and you're feeling depressed for uh, a myriad of different reasons. And you're ashamed to admit it. That's why they're not getting the help that they need. Some of you are discouraged today, but I'm here to tell you this morning that we're going to kill that demon of discouragement in Jesus' name today. He's leaving this place today. We're not going to let that demon control our lives and frustrate us and hold us back and hold us down anymore. Let's look at a few things that I believe cause discouragement and depression to come into your life. And we can learn... Most of them from the prophet Elijah, the great man of God, the man of miracles. And one of the main things that caused depression, there's a lot of things, but one of the main things that I believe is when you receive what other people say or think about you. You hear somebody says something about you, and even though you know it's not true, it's a lie, if you receive that into your heart and begin to believe it, you'll become that thing they were talking about. Look at uh, uh, 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 1. It says, And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. Is that where it's at, 1 Kings 19? Okay. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. Everything. He told her everything he did. And with all, how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. Now, if he told her everything, then he had to tell her about the miracle of God answering by fire and the rain that fell from heaven after they repented, just like God said they, it would. And, and, and then he tells her, and he killed all your prophets. In other words, she should have said, well, he must be the one true God. If, that's, if what you say happened, he must be the one true God. And all my prophets were lying, so we better start uh, worshiping this one true God ourselves before we get in trouble. But no, she doesn't do that. She says, uh, she sent a messenger unto Elijah saying, so let the gods do to me and more also if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. In other words, she told Elijah she's going to kill him the same way he killed those prophets. And, and Verse 3 says, and when he saw that, 
He arose and went for his life and came to Beersheba with Melongish to Judah and left his servant there. He was already contemplating suicide. He left his servant there because he didn't want nobody to talk him out of it. He was ready to do it. But I want you to notice something here. She said something and he translated it into a vision and he saw what she said. And that's where he got in trouble. He imagined it in his mind and allowed it to become a reality. Pastor, I've been telling us about visions and goals and stuff. If you can envision it, you can have it. If you can imagine it, you can have it, good or bad. So he takes something that she said and he translated it into something that he could see. He could see her killing him. And that's why he ran for his life. And a lot of people do that. You let someone... Uh, say something to you and you translate it into a vision. You allow it to become a reality and, and you know, you're no good. You're a bum. You're never going to amount to anything. You're not smart enough. You don't have enough talent. You just can't do this. Bye, bye, yeah, yeah, bye, bye. And you begin to take what they say and start seeing it in yourself and all of a sudden you start gravitating towards that and you become what they said you were. And that's what's happening, Elijah. And you, you allow people to control your life by what they say and think. You start developing a defeatist attitude. No matter how we try to encourage you and lift you up and give you the word, you're already defeated in your mind. That's why all these uh, boxers and stuff and these wrestlers, they talk all this smack before a fight. Because if he can get you to believe what he's saying, he'll, you'll be defeated yourself in your own mind before you ever get in the ring. But you start believing you're not good enough, that you'll never get ahead, that uh, you're not good enough for that position at work. You can't get healed. You can't get the victory. And then you begin to see it. It's a problem when you allow your life to be directed by what other people think and say about you. You're allowing what other people say to become a reality in your life. He saw it and it caused him to run for his life. And we're going to defeat that devil today. See, you should never do things based on what other people say. Truth of the matter is, you're trying to impress people that don't even like you. And some of them you don't like. And yet you're going to take what they say and, and imagine it and, and make it a vision, a reality in your life? Here's another reason. Some of you are discouraged and depressed because of what you think about yourself. Look at verse 4. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree. Uh, another translation calls it a broom tree. It's, it's, uh, it's some type of a cedar tree that offers shade or something. And he requested for himself that he might die. And he said, it is enough. I've had it. I'm at the end of my rope. I can't take no more. Now, Lord, take away my life, for I'm not better than my father's. It's enough. I can't take no more. And I wish me and Pastor Red had a dime for every time we heard that from somebody. We've counseled with people, and that's the first thing they say. Pastor, I love you and everything, but I've had it. I, I can't take no more. I've had enough of this stuff. I, I want to punch them in the throat and tell God they ran into my fist. I hate when people tell us that because they're already defeated. They've defeated themselves in their mind. They saw their situation. They had a vision of what somebody said about them and they were defeated. But don't you know your God would never allow something to come into your life that you're not able to handle and even that which you are not able to handle, he'll make a way of escape. Don't tell me you had enough you can't take no more. If God allows something into your life, then you must be able to handle it or he wouldn't allow it into your life. God, this looks too big. This really looks bad. But if you allowed it into my life, then I must be able to handle it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And, and so you, you just start being strengthened by that. Yeah. And God starts to uh, strengthen you and energize you. And you begin to say, 
I'm more than able to defeat this spirit of discouragement, this spirit of depression. I'm more than a conqueror. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You don't say that I, I can't take no more. Sit under a juniper tree. I can move mountains, slay giants, and cross mighty rivers with God. Hallelujah. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. I'm blessed coming in, blessed going out in the house, in the field. I'm blessed. Hallelujah. I'm not staying in this discouragement. I'm not staying in this depression. Not one more minute. I'm coming out in Jesus' name. See, Elijah actually thought that he couldn't take no more. He believed that. And he thought that he had all that he could handle, but he didn't realize that the capacity he had in God and the things that he could really handle. And then, I'm going to be nice. I'm not going to say I was going to say something about the next person that tells me they had enough, but I'm not going to say it. I'd get in trouble. Amen. Don't try to coax me into saying it. <laughs> it's enough, Lord. Take my life. Kill me. For I'm no better than my father's. His next mistake was comparing himself to others. Of course he should be better than his father. You should be better than your father and your children should be better than you because they learn from your faults and he, you learn from his faults and you become a better person because you're not making the same mistakes he made. Don't tell me you're not better than your father. You are. Every man. I said the same thing about when, when me and Pastor Eck got married. I said, I'm not going to be a dad like my dad was. I'm going to be a better dad. I'm going to be a dad that's here for him. I'm going to be a dad that cares for my kids and raises my kids right and provides for them right. right. I want to be better than my father and I hope my kids want to be better than me. If they don't, then I failed somewhere along the line. Don't compare yourself, not even to your father. See, we all have our own race to run. God's not going to have you running somebody else's race. God has an anointing for each and every one of us and God's will for your life is unique. And if you're trying to run in somebody else's race, you don't have the anointing to do it. You don't have the anointing to compete in that race. But the most dangerous thing about discouragement and depression is when you isolate yourself. This is what I see. I was on the phone this morning for half an hour with somebody that I believe is in that place of isolation. And they got every excuse in the book. But I know that's not the truth. Amen. Look at 1 Kings 19, verses 9 and 10. Now an angel came along and he fed Elijah and gave him water. And he went on the strength of that food for 40 days. Still running from God, but now he's running on God's strength. He's running on what God sent him with the angel. And he's running 40 miles in the opposite direction that God originally wanted him to go. And, and, and isn't that just like us? And now when we finally get our theology straightened out and we finally realize that we were messed up and God got us straightened out, we realize that the, where we have to go is the, the starting point is 40 miles back to the place where we started and then further north. Amen. Amen. 1 Kings 19, 9 and 10 says... And he came thither unto a cave and lodged there. See? And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said unto him, What doest thou here, Elijah? In other words, I didn't send you here. Now, I sent you there to the brook. I sent you there to Zarephath. I sent you there to this place and that place. But I didn't send you here. And he said unto him, What doest thou here, Elijah? No, what are you doing here? And he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts. I, I mean, I have been an usher. I've been a greeter. I've taught in the back room. I've painted the church. I've done everything. I've done it with zeal. And, and, and I did it all for you, God. And then he says, For the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars. Yeah, but Elijah, you just fixed all of that. 
Remember Mount Carmel? You fixed all of that. Now they're rebuilding my altars. And he says, and slain thy prophets with the sword. Yeah, and you slayed 850 of her prophets. And I, even I only am left. And they seek my life to take it away. This mighty warrior... This miracle worker of God has gotten to the place now where he's feeling sorry for himself and having a pity party, but he's the only one at the party. God said, what are you doing here, Elijah? By yourself. And when you get to the place where you isolate yourself from people, it's a dangerous place for someone with depression to be. See, you don't want to talk with anyone. You won't answer your phone. You don't want to go anywhere with anyone. You stop coming to church and the devil has you exactly where he wants you. See, God never called anyone to navigate the issues of life by themselves. He said it is not good for man to be alone. It's not good for a woman to be alone. We all need someone to help us through the trials and challenges of life. That's nothing to be ashamed of. It's not a, uh, he don't, don't get me wrong. Dogs and cats are nice, but they don't take the place of people. You need something with a higher level of intelligence. And I realize some people live alone. But God will sustain you during the lonely times, trust me. But he never wants you to isolate yourself from other people, never. That's why he says, fail not to assemble yourselves together. He says, go to church, assemble yourselves together. You need each other. You need to encourage each other, lift each other up, help each other physically, emotionally, financially. You need a family. You ain't no island. Elijah said, what's the use? I'm the only one left and they're seeking to kill me. But God said, Elijah, you're not alone. I have 7,000 more that have not bowed their knee to Baal. 7,000. Obadiah hit 100. God hit 7,000. See, you need people that will talk to you, pray for you, encourage you, love you, give you the support that you need when you're going through something. Give you their experiences. Hey, brother, I know it looks bad, but I've been through that already. You're going to make it, man. Here's what you got to do. You need that. You're not going to get it at home sitting by yourself. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. All right, I got to close here. I think you're getting the idea. I hope you realize that it's a problem in the church. Yes. Let me close with this illustration. If I had a big bonfire with 10 big logs burning on it, I mean, it would be a roaring fire. But then I take a set of prongs, I grab one of those logs, and I take it off the fire and I set it over here. What's going to happen to that law? It's going to go out. And that's what's going to happen to you when you isolate yourself. You better stay in the fire. You better stay in the church. Stay in your family. Stay with the rest of the logs. And I know you can look down your aisle, your aisle right now and say, there's a log. There's a bump. There's a twig. But you know what? We're all necessary. The bumps on the logs, the logs and the twigs. We all need each other. Amen. And above all, if you're feeling like Elijah felt, you need to talk to somebody. Amen. And you need to talk to a human being. Your dog just wants a treat. They'll do anything for a treat. They'll even agree with you for a treat. But you need somebody with some intelligence that could help you and encourage you and pray with you. Amen. I don't want to hear about another suicide, especially from somebody that I know. Amen. Suicide is bad enough. I know it's somebody knows the person and it's bad for him. It's hard for him. But when it's so close to home as, as it's been hitting uh, lately, I don't like that. And I told Pastor Ed, I said, you know what? I need to preach on discouragement and, and uh, depression. And, you know, I, I, I didn't want to emphasize and give the devil any glory, but that's how it starts out. Discouragement, depression, suicide. You got to deal with it in the discouragement stage. And if, and if you can't deal with it there and it elevates to depression, you need to get some help 
right there. Because the next step is the devil's going to talk you into how useless you are and nobody's going to miss you when you're gone and everything else. And he's going to talk you into killing yourself. And I, I'm not going to allow that to happen in this church. That devil is bound in the name. He's not only bound, he is cast out never to return again. Amen. Hallelujah. Father, we pray right now in the mighty name of Jesus, the name that is above every name, the name of Jesus, that the, the Savior that provided us with the blood that cleanses us from all sin, the same Savior that took the stripes on his back and provided us with healing, and we apply that blood to this situation. Everyone within the sound of my voice, whether it's in this building now or even on the Internet and our, our, our Facebook and our podcast pages, uh, we just declare and decree right now, we're not tolerating that demon in this church anymore. We're not tolerating the demon of discouragement, the demon of depression, and especially the demon of suicide. We take authority over him right now, and we, we apply the blood of Jesus, the blood that will set us all free, and we apply that blood to our lives right now. We speak to that demon of discouragement, that demon of depression, and especially that demon of suicide. And we say you are bound in the name of Jesus. You will not operate in this church or in, in any of these people or their families in Jesus' name. We cast you out to return no more in the mighty name of Jesus. Hallelujah. And we thank you, Father, for the name. We thank you for the blood, hallelujah. We thank you for the authority that's in that name, hallelujah. You said if we could bind on earth what's bound in heaven and loose on earth what has been loosed in heaven. And what, so we know there's no demons running around loosed in heaven, so we bind them here as well. We bind them here in the name of Jesus. They will not accomplish their goals in this church or in these people's families and lives in the name of Jesus. We declare it and we decree it. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. I hope you're as mad as I am at these lying devils. And don't listen to these lying preachers. Don't let them shame you into something. You know, what do you mean you're sick? Don't you have any faith? What do you mean discouraged? Christians don't get discouraged. That lying preacher got a trip coming down to the brook. Amen. Hallelujah. This concludes this message. Thank you for listening. We pray that it's been a blessing to you. For more information about FFC or its ministries, please contact the church office. God bless you, and remember, Jesus is Lord.